I want to start this evening by thanking you and allowing me the opportunity to stand here with you and go to God's Word together. And I pray that the things that we look at will help us, will strengthen us, and encourage us to tell people about this man we follow, about this Jesus, our Savior, and, and what He means to us, and how He can help them and be there for them. Before I do so, I want to ask you to impart some grace on me. This is my first time preaching to my glasses, and I tend to do this all the time, I've noticed so. If that annoys you, I'm sorry. It's just something that's going to happen. Um, but truly, um, I told Brother David I was going to spend a little time before I did to tell you about who I am. I've, I know that not everybody here may be familiar with me. My name is Dallas Carrasco. I work with the congregation over in Olton at Main Street. I've done so since my father, Joe Carrasco, has passed away. My lovely wife, Abril, is sitting with Jesse and Neil. Um, and she's been a big help to me in that. Um, things are going great over there. We... Uh, Keep growing in number and spiritually both, and we're so thankful for everything. We're thankful to y'all for Linda, Neil, and Jesse to us. They've been a tremendous help in the work down there, and, and I can't tell you how well it's going. And I wanted to also, before I forget, to thank y'all for last year at our meeting, the support that you showed us. I really, that touched me, and I'm so thankful for y'all, and I pray God continues to bless this congregation, both spiritually and in number, and I know He will because this congregation is one that works, and I'm so thankful to see that, and I'm thankful for everybody in this room. As we get started this evening, you'll see that my title of my lesson is, What is Fair? And we hope to answer that question this evening as we go along. See, one of the lingering effects of COVID-19 that we see in, in the workforce is a debate of working from home. It's one of the lingering effects of COVID-19. There's a, a CEO of a big company, you may have heard of him, his name's Tim Cook. The company is Apple. We're probably familiar with their gadgets and, and their devices and their phones and everything that they make that we use in our everyday lives. And last year he told his employees, we're going to a three-day work week at least. You're going to have to come in for three days. Employees didn't like that. Not one bit they didn't like that. And those employees didn't want to come back declining and saying, our work from home is exceptional. Why should we? We're the very best. You've hired the very best. What are you going to do if you get rid of us? They didn't want to go back to work. There's a lot of pros and cons of working from home. Some of the pros being, I've got my comfy chair, right? I've got my pot of coffee the way I like to fix it. I've got Poncho, my dog, sitting right next to me, keeping me company as I work. And some of the cons may be, once you start, it's hard to stop. There's no human interaction. There's a lack of productivity. There's a lack of being able to bounce ideas off each other in person. A lack of building of relationships amongst each other. And so like any reasonable CEO would do, he did a survey and a study of these employees after they refused to listen to him and his demands. And about 90% of the employees surveyed said they did or would not return to the office. They didn't want to. <clears throat> and in that study, it showed that the average employee that works from home spends about five and a half hours just proving that they are working. Five and a half hours. They're monitoring them through the camera, I don't know what, but they are, and it's five and a half hours just proving that they're doing something, just trying to prove that they're working. There's another CEO of a company based out of Texas, you may have heard of him, his name's Elon Musk, he's the CEO of a company named Tesla, and he had the exact opposite response when his employees said they didn't want to come. He said, you know what, have fun pretending working somewhere else. Excuse me, that's probably what I would have heard in my experience in the workforce. I'd have said, hey, boss, I'm not coming in today. I don't think I have to. Well, have fun on the unemployment line, Dallas. That's exactly what I would have heard. 
And so that's the, the take that Elon Musk had on it. It sounds like the tail wagging the dog when we think about that scenario, right? Employees wanting to tell <clears throat> the employer what to do. One of the prerogatives of a business, you set the work standard, you set the wages, you set what you're going to do, you set what's going to have to be in order. There should be a distinction, should there be a distinction between employer and employee. It seems like to have a successful one, there should be. One chief, many scouts, not many scouts and no chief, right? To have a successful one. People today, because of COVID-19, feel like they can call the shots. And if you make me come into work, I'll sue you. This evening, we're going to look at a story by Jesus about a business owner and his business employees. That the first time you read it, we get the impression that this business owner is very unfair. He's an unfair person. He's an unfair guy. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's the word of our day, right? Fair. You're not treating me fairly, pay me more, and work me less. That'd be fair. We may be surprised to learn what Jesus thinks is fair. If you've got a Bible this evening, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, we're going to read this parable of the workers in the vineyard. Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 1 through 16. Matthew 20, verse 1 through 16 says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for denarius today, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You also go into the vineyard. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they, like, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first, and the first last. For many are called, but few chosen." So in order to get us a better grasp on this parable, or excuse me, three, three takeaways that we hope to take away this evening is one, where our focus should be. Another being everyone in the kingdom is treated the same and why it is fair. And those are three takeaways that we hope to take away from this parable this evening as we continue along. And as we back up just a little bit to Matthew 19, 24, we read, And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is telling them the difficulty of it, that it, that it excuse me, the difficulty of a rich man entering the kingdom. And why? We might ask, that's why are you going there? Because of the response that these disciples had. Continuing in verse 25 through 27. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? You can almost picture it, right? These men had the opportunity to sit at Jesus' feet and learn from him as he taught on this earth. 
in person, they got to sit there with him and learn. You almost picture them sitting there cross-legged and being right there with them, just attentive. And when hearing this, they said they were astonished. I just picture them scratching their head like, what's this guy trying to tell? Who then can be saved? And Peter goes on to ask the question, therefore, what shall we have? What are we going to have then? We've left everything behind and we're following you. What, do you, what are we going to have? Jesus goes into a two-part answer. Immediately after this in the ensuing verse, he says, you will sit on 12 thrones and you will judge the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, you're going to have some judicial responsibilities. And I believe here in Matthew 20, beginning in verse 1, we get the second part of this two-part answer that Jesus gives them. And let's notice for a moment. The first eight verses tell us some guys that were hired at 6 in the morning, others at 9 in the morning, others at 12 in the afternoon, some at 3 in the afternoon, and some at 5 in the afternoon of the 11th hour. Different times, right? All these guys were hired. Jesus says one stipulation, no matter when you came, you were paid the same. Whether you came at 6 or whether you came at 5, you were paid the same. Those who worked all day didn't like that. Keep, keep in mind, those who came at the 11th hour, they didn't have to suffer through the heat of the day. They weren't covered in dust. Their feet didn't hurt. Their hands didn't hurt. They didn't go through the strenuous day of working in this vineyard. And they all received the same wages. And let's really think about this for a minute. So it says in Matthew 28, So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. So not only were they paid the same, but those who came last were paid first. They got paid first. Think about that. That don't sound fair, does it, when we first read that? It don't. It really doesn't. Does this seem fair when we first read this? Disciples are probably thinking, what kind of landowner is this? What is Jesus trying to tell us? He's always talking to us in these parables, and we never say nothing because each time we do, we always get it wrong. We always get it wrong. What's he trying to tell us? Probably what they're asking themselves. What is he trying to tell us? They might have been asking themselves, is this how he is going to pay us? And if they were, good for them. Good for them. That's exactly what they should be asking themselves. Is this how Jesus is going to pay us because the answer is absolutely. Absolutely, that's how he's going to do it. And I hope we get a better understanding of that as we continue along. I want you to imagine for a moment, we've got these two senators who represent the state of Texas at the United States. And so imagine you work in Senator Ted Cruz's office. Whether you're the secretary, whether you're the chief of staff, you're the mail guy, you're the guy bringing him food, you're the guy driving him around all his appointments. And no matter what you do, no matter how many hours you work in the day, each person's paid a denarius. Sound fair? Sound fair to you? Remember, Jesus compares this, uses this <clears throat> expression of a vineyard. Of a vineyard. Vineyards were very time-consuming. Even today, they required many laborers. There was no John Deere or Case IH to help get the job done in Jesus' time. It just wasn't. And the landowner had to hire many of these workers to come and work these vineyards and to work it. And Jesus is telling them that this vineyard, which is the disciples and his future kingdom, is like, excuse me, <clears throat> his disciples and his future church is like a kingdom. And in this kingdom, everybody will be paid the same. Again, does this sound fair? I want you to think about the woman in the garden. How long did she wait for Jesus to come along? Think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How long did they wait for Israel to be fulfilled? A people in their own land was fulfilled. How long does David wait? 
How long does David wait before God fulfills the promise of placing one of his descendants on an everlasting throne for an everlasting kingdom? What about the prophets who spoke and wrote about Jesus? What about Simeon and Anna? Simeon was the prophet at the temple who circumcised Jesus. Anna was the prophetess outside speaking to people about him. Those two people waited their entire lives to see Jesus. They waited their entire lives. What about the Gentiles? Not very long, did they? They were obeying the gospel and being saved as soon as the disciples left, left Jerusalem preaching the gospel. They were obeying. What about people like Joe Carrasco and Brother Lyle Miller? How long did they wait? You know, when I think of that story, I think of people like my granddad, my great-granddad, Jose Carrasco, who obeyed the gospel and was born again his last day on this earth, hours before he took his last breath. What about people like that? Because I think this story clearly defines what all that's about. A couple of things about this particular landowner that need to be mentioned. He seems to be unfair, but really he's not. Really he's not. See, these workers that were, that were mad, says, but when they first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each of denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden in the heat of the day. So they assumed, hey, we got 10 hours on these guys. We're fixing to get paid, man. We're going to get a little bit more money than they are. And when that didn't happen, what they do? They complained. They didn't like it. Not one bit. But he stands in the midst of their grumbling, in the midst of their complaining, in the midst of their dissatisfaction. And he has every right to chase them off and not pay them a thing. Especially in the first century. Especially in the first century. And they had no recourse. They didn't have a union rep. They didn't have a lawyer or a better business bro. They had no law firm to turn to to help them if that would have happened. But he does not do that. He doesn't do that. So what does he do? He talks to one of those grumblers, and when I think of him going up to talk to him, I think of him putting his arm around him and pulling him in. Pulling him in and starting to talk to him, and he says, Have I done anything wrong? Did I not promise to pay you a denarius? Did I not keep my promise? He wasn't unfair. In fact, he was very gentle. He was very gentle in the way he dealt with them. He says, my actions are righteous because we had a contract. We shook hands on it before you even started. I hired you this morning, and I did the same with each group that came after you. The agreed upon price that I would pay you what was right. See, this is called patience. When God stops, when Jesus stops, when Scripture stops in the midst of our grumbling, complaining, and our whining. Say, friend, child, son. Daughter, did I not keep my promise? Did I not? You see, Jesus is trying to redirect the disciples' attention here. He talked about where our focus should be, how we're going to see that. And that's exactly what he's trying to do. To get it off of those workers and their payment and get it on the landowner. To get their focus on that landowner. <clears throat> Their focus should not be on the workers. They did what they were asked to do, and they were given what they were promised. Their attention should be on the landowner who hired, in the who hired them in the first place and treated them all equal. Jesus says the first will be last, and the last will be first. 
it's kind of a head scratcher, right? And think about it. What's Jesus trying to say about that? And I hope we're going to try and really break that down, that statement. The last will be first and the first will be last. Growing up, my dad always tried taking us on a summer trip at least one time a year. One time each year. We tried to take one trip. And I remember one trip in particular that made me think when I was building this sermon. And we went to Schlitterbahn. And before we went, I didn't have an iPhone then. I didn't know about Apple then. But I had the, you know, the little magazine in the catalog. I said, man, I'm going to get on this ride. I'm going to get on this ride. And I'm going to get on this one. I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm determined I'm going to get on these rides. And so we get to Schlitterbahn. And I get to this, to this, to this ride. And it's muggy. It's hot. It's summer. Frustrated. Cranky. Waiting in line. It felt like all day. Probably really only an hour or two. Sitting there waiting. All right, we're moving along. And that day I discovered the fast pass. If you don't know what that is, I hope you didn't find out the way I did because I was pretty grumpy. I didn't like it one bit. These people got these fast passes and they come and they cut everybody in line and they just get to get right on the ride. They get right on. They skip everybody and they're on first. Jesus said the first will be last and the last will be first and that's exactly what happened that day it's exactly what happened that day but what does he really mean by that what is he trying to get us to understand what's he trying to 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 show with that statement he wants us to understand a couple of things number one people arrive in the kingdom at different times some at the break of dawn some at the end of the day people come at different times in their life but everyone who arrives in the kingdom is paid the same thing now Remember, this is a parable, a story, an illustration. You don't really earn anything. You're not really being paid anything. You don't earn nothing. So keep that in mind. Jesus is using this to illustrate how everyone in the kingdom is treated the same. And what Jesus really wants them to understand is the question, what will we receive? That's what he's trying to get them to understand with that. What will we receive? Matthew 20, 18 through 19. Behold, we are get going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify, and the third day he will rise up again. He will rise again, rather. Excuse me. Here's what you get. This is your denarius right here. This is it, black and white. Jesus lays it out for us. Remember, not a payment, just making an illustration. Been waiting in this line all day long. These people come along, haven't broken a sweat, haven't done nothing, and they get to get on the ride. But here's what everyone gets. Here's what makes it fair. He tells the disciples he will go to Jerusalem to be betrayed, to be handed over to the Gentiles, which is the Romans, to be mocked, scourged, and ultimately crucified, but that he will be raised up on the third day. Jesus was first. He's creator of all things. And Jesus is last because he was crucified. And he's also first because he's the first of the fruits of the, excuse me. He's the first of the fruits. The, he's the firstborn of the fruits of the resurrection. Man, I really fumbled that one. But that's why he's last and that's why he's first. That's why. What he is teaching them is God is never, never unfair. He's never, never unfair. God has a right to do exactly as he pleases. But you know the beautiful thing about that is? Everything he pleases to do is righteous. Everything he pleases to do is fair. Everything he pleases to do is good, wholesome, and pure. Everything he pleases to do is beneficial for you, me, us. Everything. Everything that he chooses to do. 
So the question the disciples were wondering and the question we're wondering this morning, is it fair? Is life fair? Well, the obvious first answer is no. In a lot of ways, it's not. It's really not fair. We've been praying for a precious little girl in our community in Olson who's been, fat, who's been fighting cancer bravely and fiercely and courageously, I might add. Leukemia, six years old. This weekend, I had the opportunity to spend some time with my brother. My brother Jacob's a teacher and coach in Monahans, and he came to told me, he said, Dallas, this kid came up to me breaking down, man. He's scared. I said, what's wrong? What's going on with this young man? He said, he can run a mile in six minutes. He likes to play golf. He likes to play basketball. He seems like a pretty normal kid. He said he just came back from his medical checkup and been feeling a little ill. They went to Dallas. Doctor gave him five years to live. Doesn't seem fair, does it? It just doesn't seem fair. But there's more to that question that meets the eye. Suppose God said to you, okay, you want life to be fair according to your definition, according to your mortal definition of fair. You want me to give you what you deserve. Would you take that? I sure wouldn't. I sure wouldn't. I don't want what I deserve. I don't want what is fair in my terms of my definition of fairness. And here's the point Jesus is trying to make. The fairness of God is something that cannot be measured. It's something that cannot be measured. When we try and do it, it's just going to make your head hurt. It's just going to make your head hurt. And I think of that. I think of Isaiah 55 and 8. For my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. We just can't get it sometimes. We just don't understand it. We won't. We just won't. Is it fair that Jesus died? No. Is it fair that Jesus was charged with the sins of the people who would not do what was right? No. Did Jesus do anything in his life on earth to deserve death? No. But is it fair that he died? See, that's the question we want to answer. Is it fair that he died? Most people would automatically just go, absolutely not, it's not fair. No, it's not fair that Jesus died. That's the wrong answer. Actually, it is fair. It is fair that Jesus died. You may say, Dallas, how could you stand up there so boldly and make that proclamation that it's fair that Jesus died? He didn't deserve to die. He didn't commit any sins. He was perfect, pure, wholesome, precious, all of those things. So how can it be fair that he died? How can it be? It's fair that he died because it was declared that he would before the heavens and earth were ever created. It's fair that he died because it demonstrates God's perfect righteousness. That's why it's fair. That's why it's fair. Peter reminds us of that. Peter reminds us of that in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 21. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless con or from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. We're not redeemed with money, with gold, with aimless tradition. What are we redeemed by? The precious blood of the lamb is how we're redeemed, is how we're forgiven, is how we're washed clean by the blood of Christ and nothing else. Nothing else will suffice, Peter says. This was something that was foreordained before the foundation of this very world. Manifest in these last times for us. So that we could have him as our savior. So that we could live with hope. 
so that our faith and our hope that we have are in God and no one else. No one else. See, God promised again and again through the prophets to redeem and forgive us. He demonstrated this by delivering Israel from Egypt, performing miracles, speaking through the prophets. He demonstrated his ability to keep his promise over and over again until that person he was talking about all those thousands of years finally showed up, which is Jesus. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that fair price. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He was a perfect sacrifice. Perfect. Spotless, without blemish. For us, because he loved us. He made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God through him. Think about that. That we might be the righteousness of God through him. That we may honor our Father through Him every single day we're here on this earth. To bring Him glory. Again, I ask, what is the fair price for your salvation? Fifty bucks? It's a fair price. hundred bucks? All the money that's ever existed in the history of the earth? If I do a good deed every single day, a million of them, I'm just a good person, will that suffice? The fair price of your salvation according to God Almighty is His only begotten Son. Him alone. No one else and in nothing else. There is not anything or anyone that God can give you that is greater than Jesus. If God is going to save you, if He is going to forgive you, and if He is going to redeem you, then however He does that has to be perfect. Without blemish. Pure and wholesome. See, we have the system of law in our country where we say to ourselves, I demand my rights and I demand them right now and I want you to give me what is fair. We demand what we want based on who we are. God gives you what you deserve based on who he is. You see the difference? See the difference? You're not saved based on who, are you, on who you are. You're saved based on who Jesus is. You're saved based on what Jesus did for you. And that's the difference. That's the difference. God whispers in our ear. He says, friend, I am doing you no wrong. I choose to give this worker this I choose to give to you. All Christians receive the same thing. That is Jesus, who is the fair price for our salvation. I wouldn't want you to die for me. You wouldn't want me to die for you. You'd come away short. You, don't, you wouldn't want that. Come away short in a hurry. But God considers you worthy and that he created you in his own image. Worthy of the fair price of your salvation, which is Jesus. Fairness begins and ends with Jesus, and all his workers are given the same. Nobody waits in line, and everybody is treated the same. I want you to picture for a moment something that I, 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 I try to picture often that brings me lots of comfort, that brings me lots of hope, and I hope it does to you too. But picture that great and final day when we're all gathered around that throne. All around the same throne, Jesus' throne, our King's throne, honoring Him, glorifying Him, praising Him, and worshiping Him. What a day that will be. And you know the beautiful thing about that is everyone there bought with the same price the precious blood of Jesus. Every single one there. What else could God, what else could God possibly offer us? 
There is nothing else. It's Jesus or nothing. Because God said so. And how grateful and how thankful we are that such a man loved us to do that for us. Friend, I'm telling you, if you don't know that goodness, if you don't know that love, if you're sitting here today and you have not had your soul washed clean by that blood and that watery grave, there's no better day than today. If you're struggling in your walk and you need help, if we can help you attain God's forgiveness in any way this evening, I pray that you come and sit on the front pew as we stand and sing.